Well, I want to welcome you again to Seven Mile Road Church. My name is Jay Thomas. I'm a church planter and a pastor here working with a team of folks as we plant this brand new baby church. Uh, Seven Mile Road really is just sort of getting started like an infant learning to crawl. And so our pace right now has been to gather weekly on Sunday afternoons uh, for prayer and study and conversation community, which is open to all of you. And so next week, we'll gather back in this room to talk through practically some of the things we'll be talking through from the scriptures this week. And so we gather in that format every week, and it's open to all. And then we gather in this setting for corporate worship and preaching and singing and communion once a month. Uh, if you were here at our last preview service last month, we said that there are three big words to life here at Seven Mile Road Church. Uh, three words that are sort of central and shaping and defining and infusing and, and, and everything about who we are and who we're hoping to be. Uh, we said those are the words gospel, community, and mission. Gospel, community, and mission. And, and if you were here last month, we looked at the first of those words, the word gospel. We, we said it's a big word, it's the central of all the words, we looked at the word gospel. And to do that, we went to Ephesians chapter 2. And if you remember, we said that the gospel is the bad news that we are sinners, but the good, glorious, grand news that Jesus is a Savior. And in that time, we crescendoed by saying with Paul, it is by grace we have been saved through faith, and this not our own doing, it is the gift of God, the gospel. Well, today then, we cover the second of those big, central, defining words. We're looking at community, Jesus and his community. And to do that, we're actually going right back in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're doing that because what I'm hoping you'll see is that over the next three services, over last month, this month, and next month, Paul's argument in Ephesians 2 and 3 is basically this. In chapter 2, in the first 10 verses, he begins with the gospel. In verses 11 through 22, which we'll look at today, he talks about how this gospel forms a new community called the church. And then in chapters 3, verses 1 through 13, you're going to see that this new community called the church is actually sent on mission so that the world might come to know and believe in Christ. And so there's this sort of cycle and repetition that we're sort of throwing ourselves into. And that is that we come to believe the gospel, that gospel incorporates us into a community called the church, and that church is then sent on mission so that others might believe the gospel and be incorporated into the church and sent on mission so that still others might believe the gospel and be incorporated into the body called the church and sent on mission so that still others, and you get it, and so on it goes. Till Jesus comes back, this is what we want to be about. Gospel, mission, community. Uh, what I'm hoping you see is that these three words are not a tagline for Seven Mile Road so that we could be cute or clever or hip or cool. It's because it's when we open the scriptures, when we boil it all down, we really sense that this is what God's calling us to be about. That we're supposed to be about Jesus and his gospel, Jesus and his community, and Jesus and his mission. So we're in the second of those realities, the second of those worlds. We're looking at Jesus and his community. We're talking through community. Now when you talk about community, you're talking about something that whether you recognize it or not, is actually hardwired into your DNA. It, you were built for, designed for community. Like, let me give you some examples. Do you, do you remember the show Cheers? If you know Cheers, 
some of you are going to feel old because you do remember, the rest of you don't, but, but maybe you've at least seen it on reruns at some ungodly hour of the night, right? But every day that Cheers ran for eight years or so, what was the theme song that started the whole thing? You want to go to a place where everybody knows your name and everybody's really glad that you came. And the whole show revolved around what? You had this sex-crazed ex-ball player and you had this overweight uh, poster worker and then this overweight guy in a crummy marriage and different characters of different sorts, but when they converged on that bar in Boston, they belonged. They fit in. Everybody knew each other by name. Everyone was glad you came. They, they meshed. They belonged. There was a connectedness to the whole thing. Or maybe you don't like Cheers, but talk about Starbucks, right? What's the genius behind Starbucks? Uh, what is it that would cause otherwise sane, rational, normal, responsible people to spend six bucks on some cream and milk and sugar and a tiny bit of coffee, right? It, there's whole sociological classes on the Starbucks phenomenon, but just think of the way the whole place is laid out. You walk into, for example, Dunkin' Donuts, at least the older ones, and you had this ugly orange on the walls that blinded you if you stared too long, and hard chairs, and so you went in, you grabbed your coffee, you paid a buck twenty-five, you left. What's the whole vibe of Starbucks? It's not just the coffee. You go in and there's comfy couches and cushy chairs and there's tables and the whole vibe, the whole feel of the place is come, sit, chat for a while, talk to people, make some friends. And if you go there enough, you begin to know the baristas by name and they know you and there's just this sense of belonging, this connectedness, this community. Maybe you don't watch Cheers, maybe you're too cheap to buy Starbucks, but you'll find different ways to fulfill that longing in your soul. And so for some of you, it's family. And so you love big, loud, extended family. The holidays, you know, 70 aunts, 80 uncles, 6,000 cousins, all of you squeeze into a three-bedroom apartment, and, and you love it. Because everybody knows you, you know everybody, you belong, you're connected, you relate. And, and if you can't quickly identify your outlet, then maybe you know of the longing and the loneliness that comes from being out of community. How, how desperately you long to belong to something bigger than yourself, to be connected, to have a sense that at the deepest level you're connecting with people. We were hardwired, designed for community. It, it's built into who we are. And, and there's a reason for that. You see, the Bible says that we have a Trinitarian God, a triune God, a God who is both three and one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I know there's enough just there to send your mind dizzy for days, but if you would accept that reality, if that's true, well then community isn't our idea, it's a reality within who God is. That means that God has eternally existed in community. That before time began, the Father was with the Son, and the Son was with the Spirit, and the three related to one another, and communed with one another, and enjoyed one another. The Bible goes on to say that you and I were made in the image and likeness of God, that we're image bearers, and so there's stuff about us that reflects stuff about Him. There's realities in us that reflect the realities of Him, and one of those realities is that we were created as relational beings. We were created with this need for one another. And, and so when you grab your Bibles and you turn to the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, 
you find the world exactly as you would expect, exactly as you would want. You've got one guy and one gal and their God, and they're enjoying community. They're in harmony with each other, in harmony with their God. They're in relationship with each other, in relationship with their God. They're connected to each other, connected to their God. They're near one another. They belong to one another. They're related to one another, and they're near and belong and related to their God. There's a beautiful intimacy. There's a beautiful harmony. There is community in the deepest, most beautiful, more, most grand sense. And everything is gloriously good. And then everything goes dark. Everything goes horribly bad. Because by the time you get to Genesis 3, you find that these first two have rebelled against their maker and have broken and fractured and destroyed everything. And now they who were intimate with God are hostile towards God. And they who were intimate with each other are actually hostile towards each other. You get this scene where they're in the garden and they who had walked with God are now hiding from him. And there's hostility now between God and man. But there's also hostility between man and man. Because now you've got Adam and Eve, right? I mean, when Adam first sees this girl, right? He breaks out into the first poem, the first love song in human history, right? He's with the giraffes and the koalas and the tigers, and he's got no song to sing. He sees this gal, the first one, God brings him a woman. This brother breaks out in song. You are flesh of my flesh. You are bone of my bone. You are woman. You are mine. And then two seconds after the fall, what's his song? She did it, right? That woman, this is what he says to God, that woman that you gave me, she did it. Community, gone. Relationship severed. Belonging, destroyed. There's hostility towards God. Hostility towards man. And you don't have to but turn one chapter to see how this thing is going to play itself out. Because the very first two brothers, the older slaughters the younger. And you don't make it out of Genesis 10 until the whole world is just rippled with strife and division and disunity and murder and community is gone. And if we're honest, whether you're here and you're a Christian or not, you would admit that our world seems to suffer from the same. And so here we are, there's part of us that's created in the image and likeness of God, and so we long for community. But at the same time, we're sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, and so sin destroys it all. And we find ourselves in hostility towards God and hostility towards one another. Our selfishness separates us. Our racism and our race segregates us. Our fear hinders us and stuff like gossip and backbiting and slander and anger, all of that destroys relationship with God and relationship with one another. And so what do we do? We do try, we do try to patch things back up with God and with man. And so we'll dabble in religion or good deeds or we'll give to the poor, all in an effort to somehow get back to God. And we'll try to connect with people. And so we'll try and center community around lesser things because we can't do it around God. And so we'll find different affinities. And so you've got the people who love to sew hanging out there and the people who love to bowl hanging out there and the guys who like art hanging out there. Or, or we'll build it around race. And so you've got the whites there and the blacks there and the Asians there and the Mexicans there. 
we'll find it around music, and so you've got the hip-hop crowd, or the rock crowd, or the pop crowd, or the, the country, well, we don't care where the country crowd is, but they've got their own crowd, right? I mean, you find it around something. You'll hang at Starbucks, you'll find it at a bar, you'll root for the Eagles together, you'll cheer for the Phillies. You just want to belong to something bigger than yourself, where, where you're connected with people at soul level. But if you're honest, as good as all of those will be, none of them connect you at the soul level, either to God or to one another. But fortunately for us, there's good, glorious news because the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 is going to talk to a bunch of folks who are in the same boat we are. And he's going to show them a community that is more glorious than anything that they had known. A community centered, not on race, not on gender, not on background or culture or customs, but a community centered on Jesus and his gospel. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 2. It's on page 976 of the Black Bibles, verses 11 to 22. It's the passage that... Shelley read for us. As we turn there, let me just turn our hearts for a moment to God in prayer, and then we'll look through this passage briefly together. Our glorious God, we give you thanks that you have brought us here. Our prayer this afternoon is very simple. It is that you would preach your word to our ears, that we would hear and believe, and that you would graft us into community with both yourself and with one another. That's our prayer, that if we come into this room alone, that we would leave actually incorporated into the family of God, with God as our Father and to the person to the right and to the left of us as brother and sister. Through your cross, you have made this possible, and so do that work in this hour, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're picking up in 2 verses 11, and we're continuing right along from where we were last month, because Paul's argument is... If you're going to talk about Jesus and his gospel, it's going to necessarily, necessarily force you to talk about Jesus and his community. There is no conversation about God that does not immediately follow with a conversation about his people. Being a part of him is going to mean being a part of his people. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and just as some background, that's a church of Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles just another way of saying everybody else. So it's the Jews and it's everybody else. And so the Gentile camp is the camp that many of us would fall into. And so Paul's going to talk to a bunch of folks just like us, and he's going to instruct them, remember your condition, B.C., before Christ. Verse 11, this is what it says. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Do you hear that? Alienated from God, alienated from His people. That's what we've been talking about. That their condition and our condition, their state and our state, apart from Christ, is that we are alienated from God and alienated from each other. They're alienated from God. Verse 12, he says they were separated from Christ. And he ends by saying they were without God in the world. Alienated from God. Remember, he's building this whole argument from verses 1 through 10, what we talked through last time. That we are, as sinners, dead in our sins. Spiritual corpses. Unable to move towards God. 
following the prince of the power of the air, captive to sin by nature, objects of God's wrath, we find ourselves alienated from God. But moreover, they were alienated from his people. Because in verse 12 he says, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. And, and so these guys were separated from God's people, separated from Israel. Now you need to hear the implications of what that means. Because Paul's not just saying, you know, you were born Italian instead of Irish. Or you were born Spanish instead of Mexican. Paul is saying you are outside of the covenant community of God. And so you're alien to all the benefits and all the blessings that came with being God's people. You're removed from the comforts of God's word and God's law and God's covenant. I need you to picture that. I mean, picture life. And maybe this is the condition some of you are in. Picture life where you have no word from God. No promise, no consolation, no comfort. So that when you're in times of danger or trouble or strife, you have no word to your soul that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So that in your life, when you're heavy laden down with guilt and with sin and with shame, there's no word from God. Nothing that says, though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Or, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgression. Or that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. I mean, what would life be like with no word from the Lord? No law to follow. No covenant to be a part of. No relationship with God. And Paul says in verse 12 that the sum of their state is that they were without hope and without God in the world. Let me ask you, do you remember what that's like? And if you're honest, maybe some of you are right there. And Paul's not hating you, Paul's not judging you, Paul's not condemning you, but he's saying to you that your life is like one without hope and without God. And for those of you that have come to faith in Christ, do you remember what life was like? Because one of the things Paul says is he instructs them to remember. So that if you're sort of struggling with lukewarm, insipid, bland Christianity, Paul says one of the remedies for that is remember. Remember who you were. Remember who you ought to be. Do you remember what high school was like or college was like or early adulthood was like apart from Christ? And some of you have been Christian for so long that it's hard, but I want you to imagine that this should be your rightful life. That you should never have been a part of God or His community. That you should never have been able to come to a church and hear God's Word and leave consoled or comforted. That you should never experience relationships where you are connected at soul level. You were born alienated from God, alienated from His people. Do you remember your condition before Christ? Or are you cognizant of it even now? This is who they were and this is who we are. Alienated from God and alienated from His people. But thanks be to God, He does not leave us there. Because this, though this was what we were, look at verse 13. But now, this is who you were, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were far away, a million miles, and now God has brought you near. Verse 14. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and He preached peace to you who were far and peace to those who were near, for through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Paul is saying, you were alienated from God. You were alienated from His people. But in Christ and through His death and through the cross, God has done the most unthinkable, unimaginable thing. He has brought you back into covenant relationship with Himself and into covenant relationship with one another. He has reconciled you to God and reconciled you to each other. He has broken down the hostility that existed between you and God and between one another. That's what he says. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now what's he talking about? What's that dividing wall of hostility? Well, in the temple in Jerusalem, you literally had a dividing wall of hostility. The way that the temple was set up, you had the inner sanctuary, which was for God's people, and on the outermost part of the temple, you had this four-foot wall that went all around the temple. And beyond that was what was called the court of the Gentiles. That's as far as they could come near. As recent as 1935, archaeologists have found inscriptions on that temple wall. This is what it says. No foreigner is to enter within the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death, which follows. I mean, these guys were not kidding. I'm not exaggerating the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. I mean, this is a no trespass sign, except instead of saying trespassers will be prosecuted, this says trespassers will be killed. I mean, put that on your front lawn, right? That'll keep the neighbor's kids out. Right? The next time little Johnny comes over, you look him in the eye and you say, you see that sign? Next time you come here, I'm going to kill you. These guys weren't playing. You need to see the separation between these two communities in order to appreciate what Jesus has done in bringing them together and making them one. At the beginning, we talk, we're told that the group called the circumcised would look and call the Gentiles the uncircumcised. That's a Jewish way of saying an ethnic or derogatory or racial slur. We're the ones who have the covenant. We have the mark of the covenant, and those are the folks outside of it. They hated one another. They were religiously different, racially different, ethnically different, worldview different, culture, customs different. I mean, bringing these two together, this is night and day. This is east and west. This is north and south. This is mixing oil and water Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative. This is Cowboys, Eagles, or Pat's Genos. This is bringing the two and making them one. This is what Jesus said he has done. He has brought the two in himself. He has made one new man in the place of the two. How do you do that? How do you take Jews and Gentiles? How do you take, in our day, 
old and young and black and white and Indian and Mexican? How, how do you take the rich and the poor and the educated and the uneducated and make them one? Well, he tells us in verse 16, he has done this because he has reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross and killing the hostility. He preached peace to those who were near, peace to those who were far, and he has now given us access in one spirit to the Father. How has Jesus done this? He's done it by bringing each to himself, and in bringing each to himself, he has brought each to one another. In preaching peace to those who are near, the Jews, and in preaching peace to those who are far, the Gentiles, and bringing them to himself, he has unavoidably brought them together. You see, when he removed the greater separation, the greater hostility that existed between us and God, the lesser hostility between man and man had no chance. You see, when Jesus dies, this is what the Gospels say, not only is the dividing wall in the temple broken down in his broken flesh, but the Gospels record that when Jesus died, the earth shakes, and in the temple, what's torn? The curtain is torn. You see, in the temple was this curtain that symbolized the Holy of Holies, that there was this deep division between God and man. And if that temple curtain is torn, removing the barrier between us and God, then how can the four-foot wall dividing man and man still stand? If God has removed the obstacle between us and Him, then no obstacle between each other stands. And so Jesus has made us children of God, making us sons and daughters of God, and thereby unavoidably making us brothers and sisters with each other. If, if we've got one dad, you and I have no choice but to spend eternity forever. You will be with me as long as you are with Jesus. Go to bed with that thought. You are not avoiding one another. We have been eternally grafted into Christ and eternally grafted together. Here's how A.W. Tozer, this pastor from Chicago, put it. He says, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard by, to which each one must individually bow. So then 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. You hear what Tozer's saying? Tozer's saying, if you go into a room and you want to tune 100 pianos, you don't tune each one to the other 99. You tune each one to one tuning fork. And in the same way, you don't take 100 believers and unite them by forcing them to stare at each other. You take a room like this, where we are of different ages and genders and races and backgrounds, and the only hope that you and I will ever be one is in being reconciled to God. And as we are drawn closer to Him, we will actually be drawn closer to one another. Amen. You fight for unity not by throwing potlucks, not by making bowling leagues or finding affinity groups. You fight for unity by coming back to the cross of Jesus Christ and seeing that He has broken down every barrier. And He has created this new community called the church. This is what the church is. If you've thought of the church as a building 
or a club to belong to or something to attend once a week, you miss this. Because the church is the community of men and women who have been reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. In the closing verses in 19 to 22, he gives you some metaphors for what this new community is like. He says things like, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens. So then this new community called the church is sort of like a kingdom where Jesus is king and you and I are fellow citizens. We're not on armies fighting each other. We're actually members of the same kingdom. Fellow citizens with Jesus as king. He'll say things like, so now you are members of the household of God. And so this new community called the church is actually a family with God as dad and you and I as brother and sister who are to love one another and serve one another like family. He'll say things like, you are being built together into a temple where the living God dwells. And so this new community called the church is actually like a temple with Jesus at the foundation and you and I built on and built with each other. And God dwells in places like this. You see, brothers and sisters, and that's what you are to me and that's what I am to you, it is no small thing that God has incorporated you into his church. It is no small thing that he has reconciled you to himself and reconciled you to one another. So then what's our vision here at Seven Mile Road Church? For one, we're striving for a community that is centered on Jesus and his gospel. That's simple, but I just want to say it. This community must be centered on Jesus and his gospel. We're not planting a church that's centered on race or ethnicity or age or gender or background or education or economy. We're building a church that is centered on Jesus and his gospel. And so if you're a believer and you've come here and you've got hostility towards brothers and sisters because of some lesser thing, then you need to repent. Let me say this also. If you've got racism somewhere hidden down deep in your heart, Jesus has died to remove the wall of hostility. Repent. There is no room for it. You are forever brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus will be the primary connection for each of us who gather here. If you're coming here and your primary connection is an ethnicity or culture or customs or language or age or gender, I need you to recenter and focus because we will be connected here forever because of Jesus and his gospel. At Seven Mile Road, we'll be striving for a community where we are deeply connected to one another. I need you to hear that word, deeply, because we're going to fight hard not to have superficial, shallow, one-inch relationships with one another. But we're going to try hard to allow God's Spirit so that we might plumb the depths with each other. So that we might know and really be known by one another. We're going to ask God by His Gospel to let this be a place where you truly belong. Where you're truly connected. And so I need to say to you, if you're a believer and church, whether this one or the one you go to, if church is something, it's a place that you go rather than a people that you belong to, you need to repent. I need you to hear this because it's the weirdest thing in American Christianity. 
There is no scenario in the gospel where Christians can come weekly, attend a service, and go home and call it being part of the church. There's no scenario in the New Testament where you could marginally or on the periphery or safely be associated with Jesus' community. Because the gospel necessitates that you be as deeply involved with people as you are with their God. You will unavoidably be plunged into the depths in community, both with God and with His people. And so we're fighting hard that you would not exist on the periphery, but that you would be pulled into the center, reconciled both with God and with one another. There will be no room for spectators, no room for sidelines. We've got to be a family, because Jesus has died to make it so. And we're striving for a community here where we will fight for reconciliation because we are reconciled. Look, the Bible's not naive, and I'm not either. If you really take people from different backgrounds and different cultures and different ethnicities, you're going to have strife and division. Paul's not naive to that. And so in the fourth chapter, he's going to plead that the Ephesians be unified. But he's going to plead based on what Jesus has done. You see, you and I can be reconciled because we have been reconciled. And so when we fight for unity here, we're going to fight to make real what Jesus has made possible through his death. And so we're going to fight for reconciliation. Next week, when we gather, we're going to talk practically through how does conflict and forgiveness and all of that stuff work in light of the gospel. So what I want to ask you as you've gathered here is, where are you? I imagine that there might be some of you here who first, you need to be reconciled to God. And if you're honest, you find yourself alienated to God, alienated from His people, and if Paul's right, you are without God and without hope. That's not a knock on you, that's a plea. Be reconciled to God. If you're out of fellowship with God, then you can look to Jesus and see that He has torn the temple curtain, broken down the hostility that existed between us and God, and you can be at peace with God. And for others of you, you've been reconciled to God, but you are out of fellowship with His people. And so I plead with you, look back to that same cross and see His broken flesh. And in that broken flesh, see that He has broken down the walls of hostility. Walls we could not move have come crashing down. And, and so be reconciled to His people. This is the good news of Jesus and His gospel. That through his body and through his blood, he has created a new community of men and women who have been reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. Who are in community with God and in community with each other. And that community is called his church. And I invite you to be a part of it. Let's pray.